What up, world? What's good, world? This is your girl, Machi. Hey, what's up, world? It's your girl, Nat. It's your boy, D, a.k.a. Clutch Poppy. And you are and you're now tuned in. The official talk podcast. What up, world? It's your boy, D, a.k.a. Clutch Poppy. And this is the official talk podcast. Today, I have a special guest that's coming to rock with me. Go ahead and introduce yourself to the world. Hi, everyone. I'm Amelia Zachary. And I'm a writer. I write about rape, uh, trauma, bipolar disorder, and a life after and through all the mental illness. You know, thank you for, for rocking with me today. Um, Matchy's not here, but we're definitely going to hold it down. Um, this is what we do before every episode. Um, you're welcome to join me. Every episode, we take a shot before we start. So always have something on deck. <laughs> Oh, there we go. Perfect. All right. All That's, right. I've listened to the show. I'm ready. <laughs> She's ready. I appreciate that. You ready? Cheers. Cheers. I'm good. Kentucky bourbon here. There we go. Oh, Kentucky bourbon. All right. Nice. That's where I'm at. So you had, I had to keep it, keep it classy with the Hennessy. <laughs> <laughs> Now, so before we get started, go ahead and kind of, you know, tell, tell the world about yourself a little bit. So I am, well, I currently live in Kentucky, but I was raised, born and raised in Malaysia. And I came here after falling in love with my husband and we got married here in America. And I experienced a terrible trauma when I was 19 years old. And from that, that brought forward bipolar disorder. And since then, I've been surviving. I've been living through it. And now I'm writing a memoir to kind of document all my experiences. And hopefully someone who's going through it will kind of um, have some hope. And somebody who is supporting or loving somebody through it will also have hope and insight to what the realities look like. That's, that's definitely, I feel like that will help. Um, a lot of people and, you know I big you up for doing that it's very brave of you um, to be doing that because a lot of people they they don't know how to deal with it and they don't know how to express it or talk about it so I do appreciate you coming on here to um, to discuss about to discuss and give your personal experience about um, what you went through so you, you could start from wherever you want to start or wherever you feel more comfortable starting from so I was raped while um, out with my friends and then unconscious. So there's not much that I can recall and say what happened, but for the longest time, I blamed myself for it. And people around me blamed me for it. Like, what were you doing there? What were you wearing? Who were you with? How much did you drink? And for the longest time, I thought that those were the valid questions and those were the valid concerns for me, myself. And so I kind of went into isolation. I stuck to myself. I didn't trust anybody. I didn't want to be around anybody because that nasty stuff yeah, I'd had to hear all the time just kind of really killed the insides of me. And so then came the suicidal ideation. I didn't want to be here anymore and I didn't know how to be here anymore. And um, a lot of terrible thoughts and behaviors. I was self-destructive. I was trying to do things to hopefully lead to that end. And that was a terrible way, a torturous tor torment 
for somebody that age. I was a kid. You know, 19 years old, you think you're an adult, you're really still a kid. Absolutely. And I didn't know much. I didn't know much. And I was I lived a pretty sheltered life. And so thinking that it was my fault, I didn't go to anybody in my family. I didn't go to anybody I knew. And I lived with it. And many years later, I met my um, I met my now husband, and he kind of helped me through it and realized. And that was the first time I had somebody actually watching me because I lived with him. And he was kind of watching my ins and outs. And he realized that a lot of my behaviors were irrational and not right. Something was not right. And so we started getting treatment. And that was a different ball game altogether because I thought I was never, never was I going to go and see a brain doctor. I didn't want someone looking into my brain. Like I wasn't crazy. There was nothing wrong with me in that way. <clears throat> and so that's when I got my diagnosis. And retrospectively, the years before that, he explained all my crazy behavior was actually related to PTSD and bipolar disorder. So so how was it like trusting your now husband, like when you got to know him? How was it? Was it harder, um, like dealing with your experience? Do you think it, was, it made it harder for you to, to trust him, to kind of open up to him, to let him in? It's incredibly hard, but I would say we fell in love very quickly. And, you know, you, you, it's one of those things that I met a lot of people. I dated a lot of people. I was, a, I was around a lot of people in the crux of my self-destructive behavior. And when I met him, for some reason, there were some signs or some, some stars aligned and something felt right and I wanted it. And so that I think helped a lot with trying to find trust, but I challenged him. I would do all the things that he didn't like. I'd smoke, I'd drink all day, and I'd do all the things that he didn't understand or made him mad or made him uncomfortable or impatient because I was testing, do you still love me? Do you know that there's all this nasty, dirty stuff about me? And do you still love me? And thankfully for me, he stuck, he, he stuck by me and we're, we've been together for It'll be 11 years this year. Oh, wow. Congrats. Thank you. Congrats. Yeah, big up to your husband, too. You know, it takes takes a strong person to know, you know, stick by somebody, but it takes a stronger person like you to give a person an opportunity to to love you, you know, to let some allow someone to love you after um, such a bad experience that you went through. But um, you said that that um, going through that experience, it led to your bipolar how do you you know you cope with it because I know I was reading um your profile and you were saying you know you do have children so how was it um handling the bipolar with your family that's very interesting tricky because with bipolar it's very unpredictable there's a biological part about it and then there's an environmental part of it the biological part is the chemical imbalances in my brain that I don't really have control over and then there's the environmental part, which is my life and how I lead my life and things around me and I manage around me. And so I try my best. It's very unpredictable when it comes and when it goes. I, I have bipolar and it, I think a lot of people think that they know what bipolar is. But even I can say that I don't know exactly what bipolar entirely is. I can only share with you the experience that I'm experiencing and the symptoms that I have in my episodes, right? 
So it comes and goes very unpredictably, but when it's there, like say when I'm in a hypomanic state, um, I, so I have bipolar two, which is a hypomanic state where it's a um, very low level of mania mixed with some depression and it's defined by, by long major depressive episodes. <clears throat> and the thing is that it's cyclical, it comes and goes. And so whenever I'm in those, I'm not always in those episodes, but when I am in those episodes, it becomes a challenge for everybody around me. Because when I'm hypomanic, I'm hyper-focused and I can do things for very long periods of time with, with a large burst of energy. I don't need to sleep, I don't need to eat, I don't need to do anything else but the thing that I'm focused on, which is, which was manageable before I had children. But now that I have children, that's a little tricky. So I try and switch my focus onto my children. And I do that very intentionally. And I think that I've done so okay. Everybody's alive, everybody's thriving. So (laughs) I must be doing an okay job managing it. And the the depressive part is the one where it's, painful to see my children go through because I'm, I can't get out of bed. I can't do anything. Or sometimes I need to cry, but I can't cry, but I'm just sad and I'm upset. Or sometimes I'm crying for days on end and my children see this. And so parenting has changed. The idea of parenting is very different. We're very transparent with our children and we explain to them that I'm not well and this is what I have. And sometimes I get into these spaces and it's a lot of disappointment for my children sometimes because, oh, we can't go to the park today. No, not today. Mommy can get out of bed today, tomorrow. And then tomorrow they come again. And no, still, mommy's not feeling up to it. <clears throat> but I must say, I have grown children who are incredibly, incredibly empathetic, generous, and kind. And they learn from this and they, are, they embody kindness and so I think there are also good things that come from this yeah I I, I would agree with that that. because it gives them like a different perspective (laughs) on life itself so if they do come across someone with bipolar that they um, happen to fall in love with or really like they could kind of relate to it knowing that you know my mom had this and as a kid I went through it so I kind of know how to handle it a little um, differently than someone who's never experienced someone with it so that that's I always try to look for like a positive out of a negative so I'll say that's like a um, positive um, for for your kids to kind of I mean you know is like you said it's hard for them to go like witness when you know you're in bed they they want to go and play but you're you're kind of like in a funk and you don't want to be bothered for the day so, you know, I feel like it helped build character for them too as they get older. Definitely. And I don't think it's just for bipolar. I think they're incredibly empathetic generally. Like I'll say like they have social injustice is a huge thing for them because they don't want to see anybody wrong. They don't want to see anybody else sick. If somebody's disabled, they're very empathetic about how can I help this person? Like we are this, we at the store and somebody in a wheelchair is going and drop something and she runs because she said oh they they won't be able to pick that up I should go help or like when Black Lives Matter was happening my daughter was in the front line we have to do something 
we have to go. And she made signs and she was like, we have to do something and this is my something. I can go and use my voice. Oh, and that awesome. made me the proudest mom in the entire world because she was empathetic and she could feel it. She could understand it without me having to explain to her. She just asked me what was this about and I explained to her what, what was going on. And she said, well, then we should be there too. Oh, no, that's awesome. And so, yeah. And so I think like it, it, it bleeds, right? It's not just one thing. She's learning, children learn, children are resilient. They know that it's, but this is their normal. I mean, what's normal for everyone? Everybody wants to say that this normal way of like life for families or for children, but this, this is our life and this is normal for my children. And so learning those lessons and then embodying those lessons has become part of them. And so I think that's a different way to look at it for moms or for anybody who's going through the illness and feeling hopeless or feeling like they're a burden or that's how I feel a lot. But there are beautiful things that come from it. Like this is my example. Absolutely. Like you, you know, even though you're going through this, you still able to maintain you know you were able to fall in love um get married have wonderful children and which like i you, told i wouldn't which i i was told not to you, who, who told you not to one of the doctors we met actually said that because i have bipolar disorder i shouldn't have children oh wow and that broke my heart into a million pieces because having children was everything i wanted imagine imagine you so, listened to him though right well, fuck him, because now like, right. we're, we're, we're not seeing that doctor yeah, anymore. I'm, I'm going to take a shot to that. I like <laughs> But But I'm, I'm glad you didn't listen to him because you would have missed out on a lot. Yeah. And I, I feel like, I mean, I could be wrong, but I feel like um, your kids kind of help you, you know, help you cope with everything. Because if you didn't have kids, you probably maybe more depressed because you you wouldn't really have anything to look forward to you get what i'm saying yeah so absolutely they're the reason i breathe every time i think some i i have those thoughts sometimes i think that i i'm this huge burden in my family huge burden to my husband who has to nurse me through these things i'm an invalid in the house he has to take up and like he does the dishes and he takes care of the kids when i'm in my episodes he gives them breakfast, gives them baths and gets them ready for school, helps them with school. And he does all these things. And I feel like a huge burden. And then I feel like I'm a big disappointment to my children. But then I realize that, you know what? They also at the same, and I sometimes think they're better off without me, right? My children are better off if my husband remarries and finds a new mom for them, somebody who doesn't have this, somebody who's going to be better for them, who's going to be present for them. But then I realized that I am that mother. Absolutely. It's just that during these episodes, I can't do that. And the reality is there are no mothers who are, you know, those Facebook moms. Yeah. They are fa- they're only on Facebook. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> no one's perfect. <laughs> You know, no. We we all go through our um, you know, our ups and our downs, and you know, I was I was honored to have you on here to to kind of give your, you know, your experience with bipolar because a lot of people um tend to throw that word around a lot. Like if like people in a relationship and they be like, oh, you know, that girl is tripping, 
she probably got bipolar or oh that dude is stripping he might have bipolar like they're so quick to throw that word around without knowing you know what it really the what, reality, what, the reality of what of that it. means yes absolutely yeah. so you know i'm glad that you're here to kind of you know voice your experience let people know like because a lot like i said a lot of people throw the word around like it's like it's a joke on because they're not going yeah. through it but to hear someone i've heard that's it before because it, no one see? i've heard it before and no one knew that i had it and i'm sitting there going like uh-huh well they, they said that the you person, had it no and they said they were oh, okay. talking about someone else or okay. like oh they're so bipolar oh this person's behavior is so bipolar he's like this one day and then he's like that another day and then of course i'm not too sensitive to it anymore because i understand that a lot of people don't understand what that means and they use it as a colloquial term to like replace the word crazy yes and so it, i'm not too sensitive about it but that's why i want to speak out and i love that you have me on this show and i know you guys talk about a lot of upbeat stuff a lot <laughs> so i appreciate i appreciate the space i appreciate you holding space for me no i thank you that, that's why that's why it's called official talk because we i want to be able to talk about anything you know and keep it real while yeah. we're talking about it so i was i was happy that you you're willing to come on and kind of talk about it because like you said a lot of people won't open up about it. They'll keep it balled up and keep to themselves. So I'm happy that you were able to speak about it and still live your life. And um, you didn't let that episode defeat you. You know what I mean? Thank you. And I, I wanted to say also like this is, I wanted to be part of conversations that can normalize mental illness. And a lot of people are scared. I was scared when I first went to see the doctor because I didn't want to be called crazy. I didn't want to be that person who, what did that mean? I didn't want to be in a straitjacket because they think I had bipolar. Yeah. You know, I didn't want to be pulled out in an ambulance in a psych ward because I have bipolar. I didn't understand. Well, some people do. In some in some forms, I think that happens. I think that does happen. I personally don't know something, someone that has had that happen to them, and I have not had that happen to me. But the fear because of the lack of knowledge on the subject makes it that way. And so I wanted to normal I want to normalize this conversation for people to understand to be, for us to talk more about it, for it to be out there so people who have it might not know they have it. Any kind of mental illness because people know mental illness is such a taboo. Yeah. Nobody nobody wants to say that they are weak in the mind. But it's not a weakness. It's an illness. It's a true medical condition that if you had diabetes, would you go ahead like and just not get your insulin, just not get your medication for it? It's the exact same thing. It's a medical condition in the brain and that needs help, needs treatment. And sometimes there are some kind of mental illnesses that go away with treatment. And what I have and what I understand, it's not going away for me. And so, but I am thankful that I understand it as an illness and so I can get treatment for it. I do drug treatment, I do talk therapy, and I manage my life. And I'm aware and cognizant of what's going on in my mind so that I can live a life that's fulfilling. I can, I'm thriving and I have a happy life. And that is good. Like I said, going back to that whole doctor thing, I'm glad you didn't listen to that doctor. You know, <laughs> you know it's safe to say every doctor isn't right. I'm glad that you're saying that too, because I went through like eight doctors here in America before I found the one that I'm with. And I've been with him for almost six years now, or wow. five years now. Well, because 
it's hard to find somebody because you have all these quacks telling you different things. I've had doctor that like, I sat down with him for 15 minutes and he had like, I'm exaggerating, he had 30 diagnoses. You have this, 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 and this. And oh, I'm wow. going, whoa, calm down. All right. Ooh. Calm down. Like take it, take it back a notch because that's, that doesn't seem right. And then I've had those, the one that said I shouldn't have a baby. Or I've had those that I just didn't like their face. Because if you're going to have therapy and look at someone's face for a long time, you better like, <laughs> like the person's face. And so I had, I had all those experiences, but then I remembered my first therapist from 10 years ago. He told me that if you, because I was complaining, I said, I can't find a doctor. There isn't a doctor. You have to keep being my doctor. And then he said, well, I'm not licensed in the States. So I can't be a doctor anymore. I was living in Japan when I first met him. And so he said, I can't be a doctor anymore. You're going to have to find a new one. I'll be here till you find a new one. He said, if your car timing belt was going off, right? You hear the squeaking noise. You know, there's a problem. You take it to the first mechanic. The mechanic fixes it. And then you go on and it's still squeaking. And then you take it to the next one and it's still squeaking. Do you just drive the car? No, you stop driving and you, you keep find you keep going till you find a mechanic that can solve the problem. And that's what I tell everybody like who's, um, who, who's hesitant to find a doctor. Not all doctors. They don't all come in one package. They're not the same. And you'll find somebody that you like. Just because everybody says he's the best doctor doesn't mean he's going to be the best doctor. And I hope people keep looking Absolutely. for the right one for you. Because he may be a best like. doctor for somebody else, but not for you. Yeah, exactly. Everybody, everybody everybody's different you know if you're not getting the good vibe everybody doctor, needs different things absolutely. everybody needs different things maybe you like somebody who talks more maybe you like somebody who shuts up when you're talking maybe <laughs> you like somebody who smiles a lot or i had one that was always smiling and that bothered me <laughs> what is she smiling about i don't get this i can't she, she probably thought it smiling. would make you happy like if she smiles yeah. it'll make you happy <laughs> I mean, little th- even little things like that decide whether I'm going to take treatment from this person because I'm going to have to trust the person. Yes. I'm going to be, I, I need to be able to open up to the person to be comfortable enough to open up and be entirely honest. And so you want to look for somebody that you really like. But, but I mean, I'm, I'm glad that you, you were able to find that right doctor because a lot of people, I mean, a lot of people are not brave. Like, you know, they, like you said, you kind of want to go off and keep to yourself. So, you know, big ups to you for being brave enough to admitting, you know, I have this problem. I need to seek help for this problem because if not, who knows what would have happened if you didn't go out and seek help. But do you, you so you said this, this kind of all came about after, um, after you, your rape um, incident happened. Yeah. And that was, that Actually, wasn't in I, the state, was it? No. So I was raped in Malaysia. But okay, I did not right. seek treatment till almost like eight years after when oh, I was wow. in Japan with my, with my boyfriend then. Okay. And um, you were saying earlier about the um, people not being able to go and get help or afraid to get help. I was too. And I was blessed and I'm lucky that my husband at that time insisted and he insisted and he persisted and he went with me. The, oh, first few, right. the first few sessions, I said nothing. I sat there, I, sh- I was shut down. I didn't want to say a word because I didn't want to be there. 
I was afraid about what that what, what was gonna what was gonna get found out, and I wasn't ready for it, and I didn't want to be there. And it was hard itself. Like it was even difficult to start looking for something. It was overwhelming for me. Oh, wow. It was too overwhelming that he said, look for a doctor and we'll go together. But it took weeks before like I could find one because I didn't find one. He found one. Oh, wow. So he found the doctor. He went with me, held my hand, sat through, and he was talking to the doctor the whole session. I just sit there and be quiet. Yes, no, nope, yep, yep, nope. Because I refuse to, I refuse to be part of it. But the part that I wanted to talk about was that support, having support. A lot of people don't have the support, or a lot of people have the support, but the people who want to support don't know how to support. True. And that's such such a key element in getting better, in getting help. Because if you want to really help, then first of all, you got to check your biases on at the door. You got to check your judgments at the door. Nothing that you think you know is going to help. Because helping somebody in in my experience, anybody who has helped me has had to help me where I was. Because people like to help people by thinking, you know, like, oh, if I if I do A, B, C, you should be able to do D, E, and F to Z. You know, if I if I'm gonna help you do this, then you better do this, this, and this. And it's all conditional and it's all very overwhelming for somebody who's in that state of hopelessness and worthlessness to be able to take that help. Then I'd rather not help your help because I'm not worth it. Then the increased burden on myself to take your help is a barrier for me to get treatment or to get help. So if you're going to help somebody, then you need to actually sit down and think and ask, what is it that you need? Where are you right now? What can I do to help you? And would it help if I did this? Would it help if I did that? And then do it with no expectations. Because maybe at that moment you say like, I'm going to help you get a doctor. Will you go? I'll say yes. And then you get the doctor and I'll miss the appointment. Because I couldn't get myself there. And then take take that as a lesson. Oh, okay, maybe she needs help getting there. Sometimes I say, I, I explain to people like, let's say, for example, you are, I call you and I say, hey, can you come get me to the doctor's appointment? And then the other person might think like, why? You have a car. True, that's very Is true. Is it your kids? Is it whatever? Why, why do you need me to get you there? Is there something wrong with your car? And I don't need that. I don't need that conversation because what I'm not, and what I'm actually not saying is I really I need, need to get out. I cannot get out. I cannot get into my car and turn on the ignition. I need you to come get me and take me to the doctor because I cannot. There isn't a reason for it. People always think there's a reason. Oh, you're sad because you don't have a job. Or you're sad because something went wrong. Or you're sad because of a relationship or something. Yeah. Yeah. But truly, whenever I am sad, I can't pin it down to something. I just feel it. There's just this deep sadness, deep grief and heaviness inside of me that I cannot explain. Because if I could pinpoint it, I could process the thought. But most times I can't. I just feel that way. And so people, it's difficult for people who are not experiencing the same thing to understand that. And to say like, you know, like, oh, just pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Like, just get out, get out of bed. Just get out of bed and get dressed. It's difficult to explain that feeling, that deep heaviness 
when I'm in these depressive episodes that I cannot, I just cannot. And my goal for the day today might be just to brush my teeth. Maybe today I'll get up, I'll brush my teeth and get back into bed and I, I've achieved my goal. Or maybe today I'll take a shower and things like that are very difficult for people who are not going through it to understand. So if you're really gonna help somebody, then you're gonna to need to have to put all your thoughts away and be with the person. Exactly, like you said, like leave your judgments at the door and don't assume what you're doing is right for them. Let them let them express, like listen. You know, I feel like when yeah. you're helping someone it's all about listening to, to listen to what that person is really saying is what, what they're really needing. Because sometimes you feel like you're helping when you're really kind of making the situation worse because you're assuming what you're doing is right for that person versus hearing the person out. Like you said, a lot of people take it for granted, but they're not experiencing. Like you said, your you know, goal for the day would just be waking up, brushing your teeth, and then it's back to bed or getting up and taking a shower. Like a lot of people would hear that and take that light, lightly, not knowing that's a struggle for some people. Yeah. And it might be a different struggle for someone else. That's an example, right? But it's a debilitating, debilitating disease that is not understood. And it's difficult because it's invisible. It's not like you can see a cut or a wound and stitch it up or, you know, put a Band-Aid on it. For real. Like, it's, it's funny that you said that because someone mentioned that one time, like, people don't, like, a lot of people have, um, illnesses just because you don't see it doesn't mean you don't know what it is because I remember I made a comment years ago someone parked in a handicapped spot and you know they had the tag and everything and they walked out and I was like I was like yo they look fine how come they get to park in a handy spot, handicapped spot closer maybe somebody else really needs it and the person I was with at the time they were just like well you don't know what, what they got going on just because you can't physically yeah. see it you don't know was really going on and then I thought about that for a minute I was like I'm like you know what you're right because they they could have something that's going on that just because we can't see it doesn't mean they don't have anything going on so I felt like that moment I kind of checked myself a little bit so that way I, I won't assume that you know just because they don't you don't see them limping or see us like you said like a yeah. scar or something you can't assume that they don't have some type of disability like all disability are not visible like you say, like you say, you can't see it, right? Even with me, I have two children and my children are very active at school. They have, they're six and four, but my oldest is really active and she has an environmental campaign and she wow. does, she's amazing, but she does all these amazing things. And so she appears in public a lot. And so I go with her. She does a lot of appears in public. She does a lot of public appearances. She does a lot of public appearances. And then I follow with her and I do all these things for her. We host events and we do all these youth things. When we have birthday parties, there are like tons of people here for the parties. And what people see is like this mom that's got her shit together, yeah. right? Like I do this stuff, I can do all these things. But what they don't see is my struggles, my inner struggles to be able to like drag myself to do these things. And like you said, it's true. It is my children that drive me. If it wasn't for my children, I wouldn't be doing all those things. I wouldn't force myself to do those things. But I fight through them and I find the courage. I have immense anxiety. 
That's it. I was gonna yeah. I was gonna ask you about that too. Like, you know, when you say you do like the parties and stuff, do you get any type of like anxiety or like panic attacks or anything like that? Absolutely. I I have like had to like walk in from a party, go into my bedroom and breathe because I couldn't I couldn't handle it. There was too many people, too many things going on and like too much anxiety in my head. And I even think about like going, I attend parties too, right? We get invited to parties and I go, I get to the door and then I can't get in. I, I just, I get my, my brain jams up, everything. I become immobile. I just stand there going, whoa, I can't go in here. Turn back, going to the car, sit in the car and try and breathe and like, okay, it's okay, it's just a party. And then in my head, a million things are running through my mind. And like, oh, what if I say something stupid? What if I sound stupid? What if nobody likes me? Nobody like in there likes me anyway. And all these crazy thoughts are just going, running through my mind, raging. Then I have my anxiety medication. My anxiety medication saying like, okay, I can take this. I should take this because this is here to help me. But then what if I take this and then I'm a zombie what if I take this and then I'm numb and then I'm not present and I'm not there or if at the birthday party, I'm not present for my child's birthday. But the whole, the whole anxiety is not just thoughts. I think people think it's just thinking a lot of things. It's a whole very visceral, physical thing. I, my, my body's shaking, my heart's racing, my temperature's rising and all these things are happening very uncomfortable things. Then I have anxiety overtaking my anxiety medication. Oh, then wow. I have my anxiety over the anxiety. Why lot. do I have this? So it's a lot, it's a lot to process. So like if anybody knows somebody with anxiety, it's no joke. It's not a joke because anxiety is a real thing. It's one, I think, I think it's a very terrible, paralyzing thing to have. And so, yeah, well, usually I, Usually I do take the medication and then I try and get by as best as I can, but it is a struggle. Yeah, I definitely would imagine that would be anxiety taking it. Cause like you said, you, you know, you, you think about like, man, should I, should I take this? Cause I know if I take this, it'll kind of help me. But at the same time, would I be a zombie? Would I not be present? Would they be like, yo, what's, what's going on? What's going on with Amelia? What's, why is she not speaking? Why is she not laughing as much? And I feel like that me, get people to kind of, you know, when people see they're like, oh, you're not being yourself and kind of poke at you a little yeah. like, yeah, you need to, hey, what's going on? Why are you not smiling? Yeah. I feel like it may draw <laughs> attention because, you know, if your real friends yes. are like, oh, you're not being yourself. They're going to question like, oh, what's going on? Are you having a bad But if thing? I went in there, if I went in there without the medication, I very commonly end up in situations I regret. Like, oh, awesome. shit, why did I say that? <laughs> like, I remember I had this conversation with somebody at some party. They were talking about my trip to Asheville, North Carolina. I'm like, oh, cool. You know, when I was there, I listened to this band and they were singing in Appalachian English. And they were like, what do you what? mean? Like, <laughs> like mountain, mount, mountain man English? No, it's a language. It's a different language. And then everybody's like, no, it's not. They speak English just like us. It's just, you mean the accent? I said, no, it's not an accent. It's a different language. And I believe everything. <laughs> and then I'm going off. I'm mad and I'm going off about Appalachian English. It's a language. It's a language, <laughs> well, which, it, which it is. But my point being like with my anxiety, I went from zero to 100. Quick. And embarrassed myself. Oh man. You know? 
So, so okay, I see why you have anxieties on top of that. Like, oh, if I don't take it, I might embarrass myself. Or yeah, yeah. So that that's that's tough, man. So I mean, so I always remember yeah. Appalachian English. So let it be known, Appalachian English is a <laughs> language. Okay, you said here an official talk. Official, you heard it here first. <laughs> but no, I, I definitely thank you for rocking rocking with me tonight. Um, but what what advice would you give? Um, the listeners right now, anybody who feels like they might be experiencing bipolar or anybody that um, just feels like they're like afraid to to go seek help or anything. What um, what what's the word I just said? What advice? advice. You know, what advice would you have? for well, them? I, I wouldn't call myself like anyone who's to give advice, but. I want to share love and I want to share some of my experience and I hope that anyone who has listened who's going through something that you know it's not right if you if you're not feeling right you owe it to yourself to yourself to get checked and like there's no harm in getting checked you know if you hear some funny sound in your car you get it checked you hear some mm-hmm. if your your faucet's dripping you get it checked so like, come on, like if you if you don't feel right, something just doesn't feel like yourself and you're the only person who knows yourself. If you feel like something's not right, get checked and get help because there's, there's no weakness in making yourself better or making yourself whole or being, being able to feel whole and um, live your life the way you want it to, to be in control of your own life. And to people who are, who know somebody like that, then I hope that they have they find the love in them and compassion and patience to and humility to be able to reach out and help those people with no with no expectation of any kind of reward or um, path that you think should be there for that person. Just help that person back on their feet to find their own path. And I hope what we've shared today will help people understand that a little bit more. Uh, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Um, do you have any social media or any, any way you want the listeners to follow you? Oh, for sure. I, I write a blog about my experiences and if anybody else wants more about the realities of uh, living a life like mine, it's on ameliazachary.com. That's A-M-E-L-I-A-Z-A-C-H-R-Y.com. And I am Brown Girl Crazy World on Instagram and Facebook. Ah, so follow me if you want to get more on what we just talked about today. Absolutely. Um, and listeners, you already know you can follow us on Official Talk Podcast on IG. Um, shoot me a DM or you can email me at Official Talk One. That's Official Talk, the number one. If you have any comments or if you do want some more information, um, I could definitely um, hook you up with our special guest today. You know, she can give you a little more information. But um, thank everyone for tuning in. Um, please like, share, subscribe, tell a friend to tell a friend to tune in. And until next time, I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you for tuning in. Hope you guys tune in next time. Thank you for tuning in at the Official Talk Podcast. The Official Talk, the official talk, talk Podcast. podcast.